It would be true to say that we, little, we know little of hardship. At least that has been true of my own generation. We have never come through a time of rationing due to the wars. We know little of what it is to have difficulty in getting the food, basic foodstuffs that are needful. We've become used to plenty and to having those home comforts and the latest equipment in the houses to cook the family meals and all those other things that makes life a little bit easier. I would say that would be true of most of us here. In my recent visit to the land of Nepal, having a stove, having running water within the house, having a table and a few chairs to sit on are those things that met the eye. They have sufficient to rejoice in the Lord's goodness toward them. And they have a willingness to share their meager provision with any visitors that would call. And men and women, when I come to this passage that we have read together tonight, there is an uncanny resemblance. We might say even worse. For when this woman was asked, what was in thine house? She was to reply, there is not anything save a pot of oil. But her lack of home comforts was made up by her faith. Her faith that she displayed at the visit of God's servant Elisha. We're not told her name. We're given indeed very few details about her. But this we do know. She was a woman whose husband was one of the prophets. But with her husband already dead, what an effect was stirring her and her family in the face was death and despair. That is, until her faith was put into action and there followed a different outcome to what she was fully expecting. It might be hard to identify, yes, with her circumstances. But surely what we can do is learn from her implicit obedience at the behest of God's servant to see how sufficiently God met her at the point of her need. For in her plight... I believe here we have a picture of the sinner. And the power of the gospel has to bring that soul from the depths of despair and eternal death and into the sufficiency of Christ. Just some simple thoughts. I want you to notice her cry. When we're introduced to this woman in this passage, we're told that she was a widow. She had already been to the graveyard. She was left to support her two sons. Her husband has died and that meant even more hardship for she had no means to support the needs of her family. The breadwinner in the family had been taken from her. It so happened that ere long that the husband was gone, that the debt collectors were now standing on the doorstep. You see, there was no social services. There was no government aid to fall back upon. And so the debt collectors are there. But lest you would think uh, and be led to think that this debt was incurred because of some extravagance of her husband or her carelessness by him, we are told differently in the words of verse 1 that he was a God-fearing man. And that makes all the difference. He was a God-fearing man. 
We could rightly suggest that here was one of those of the 7,000 who had not bowed the knee to Baal. Oh, Elijah thought that he was on his own and he called for the Lord to take him home. But the Lord had to reveal to him, I have yet 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. And I put it to you that this man could have been one of those. Elisha knew this man to be exactly how his wife had described him. His legacy may not have been of great wealth and of worldly goods, but what he did leave behind would have something of far more value, the fear of God. He feared God. And because of that and because of his service, he may have known the persecution. He may have known the oppression and being deprived of all that he had. But how true are the words that we read in 1 Timothy 6 and 7, for we brought nothing into the world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. But having lost her husband, I want you to note what the cries of this woman were about. Her cry had to do with her debt. There was an outstanding amount that she could not pay. And so in turn, that meant the creditors were on her. They were seeking that she pay back that which was owing. And here's a woman, we're looking at her, and she has a debt that she cannot pay. But her concern was deeper than that. Her concern was for her sons, for her family. That's why she's crying. The creditors could see that her sons would have been worth much for as slaves that would be reckoned as great assets in her hand. And so they could be taken and they could be sold in the marketplace and they would have to work for a period of seven years and not until then would they be able to go free. You see, we read that in Exodus chapter 21 and the words of verse 1 and 2. Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If I buy an Hebrew servant six years, he shall serve and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. The seventh year was a year of liberation. By their labors, her debt then would be paid. They would take her sons, they would sell her sons, and that would be the price wrought. But her sons were all that she had. And she did not want them to be taken from her. They were all that she had left, and that which reminded her of her inheritance, and no doubt of her late husband, they were precious to her, and thus we ought not to be surprised to see it in the words of verse 1 of what her response was. She cried. Neither cried a certain woman of the sons, of the wives of the sons of a prophet, unto Elisha. She took her concern to God through his servant. If God could spare Abraham's son, then can he not do the same for my son? It could have been that she was laying hold upon the promises of God's word, especially those words spoken by the psalmist. I, I uh, put it to you, maybe even Psalm 37, the words of verse 25, the psalmist says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth and his seed is blessed. I wonder, did she rehearse the promises of God back to him? Promises given to those who fear the Lord. Psalm 34, verse 7, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Verse 9, O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there's no one to them that fear him. 
Or what about Psalm 103? In the words of verse 11, again, the same context, the same thought is brought out. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. Verse 13, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth him, them that fear him. God had promised to provide his people their every need. And here was a woman who knew that God would not forsake her. She understood that God was her refuge and strength, a very present help in a time of trouble. And therefore, without reservation, she was to hasten to cry unto God's servant in the confidence that God is not as a man that he should lie. And many a man will tell you lies, and they'll promise the world to you, but they'll never keep their word. God's not like that. He's not as a man that should lie. How she could have carried this burden herself. How she could have sought to help herself. But you know what about all? To no avail. This woman knew that the best place to spread out her need was before the Lord. Her concern was very real. For while she lost her husband and there was nothing that she could do about that, indeed she was content in the knowledge that he had died as he had lived, a God-fearing man. But her utmost concern now was about this debt and particularly about her sons. And men and women, tonight in the gospel, can we not see ourselves in the great plight of this woman? Yes, there's a challenge to all who believe that the best thing that they can leave their family behind is not money. And yet man seems to be living in hope and man seems to be striving for that to be the case even in today. But to be mindful of those words of Mark chapter 8, for what shall a profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and yet lose his own soul? You can, you can win the lottery, but you can lose your own soul. The best testimony that any man or woman can leave behind is that they lived in the fear of God, fearful of His wrath and of His judgment, fearful of His holiness. And they should stand in the awe of God, fearful of displeasing the Lord because of sin and incurring the chastisement of a holy God. But apart from that, tell me tonight, have you a concern, a concern about yourself if you're not saved? For like this woman, every sinner is born into this world with a great debt. You're a debtor to God. For in Adam, of course, all sinned. All turned their back against God and lived in disobedience. And like this woman, it is a debt that not one of us can pay. For Isaiah reminds us that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in God's sight. And those righteousnesses, those filthy rags, will not pay back the debt that we owe to God. There's nothing that man can justly offer to God that will repay the debt that sin has caused. I wonder, are you concerned that there remains this debt between you, the guilty sinner, and a thrice holy God? I wonder, am I preaching to someone tonight, some parent tonight, and sadly you haven't much a concern about your own soul, but what about your offspring? 
What about your sons or your daughters? It's probably too much to ask if you've ever shed tears to see them saved and walking with the Lord that they might set their hope on God that they would not forget the works of God but that they might keep His commandments. You see, if you haven't shed tears for your own soul then how are you going to do it for others? Even though they might be the closest to you. Thank God there is one to whom we can turn. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the only mediator between God and men. And in seeing your state tonight and in seeing the state of your family tonight that you too would make the same response of this woman of bringing the need and bringing it to the old rugged cross. For thank God tonight it's at Calvary where burdens are lifted. Have you known your burden of sin lifted from off you? Here's a woman that cried. There's a good starting point. Crying unto the Lord. Well, what about her confession? We're in bringing her request and her need before this prophet of the Lord. He was to ask her what could be done for her. He asked her what had she in the house? And I don't want you to see it that her confession was an honest confession. Because the words of verse 2 tell us, Thine handmaid hath not anything. Here's a woman who was reduced to nothingness, but it was something that she didn't seek to hide from. Her confession was open before Elisha. I have nothing. There's nothing of value to her. Nothing of value besides her two sons. She had nothing to cling on to. Her poverty is that which confronts us. Our sympathy goes out to this dear soul. We may remember that similar words were spoken by the Lord after he had given the example of how to pray and so as to encourage the disciples to importunity in prayer. He gave the illustration, the example of a man of arriving at his friend's house at midnight seeking for three loaves of bread. Why did he ever need bread at such a late hour? Where we're told in Luke chapter 11 verse 6, For a friend of mine and his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. I have nothing. A friend was lost in his journey. He sought some substance. But he had nothing to give him. He had nothing to offer. And you know the same is true in the spiritual sense. There are souls tonight in life's journey. They're lost. Lost in sin's degradation. But man has nothing to offer them. There's nothing of this philosophy. There's nothing of the world's society or philosophy that can help them. There's nothing of charity that can satisfy the emptiness in their soul. The world can offer nothing. There's only one who can satisfy the needs of the heart and the soul, and that is the Savior himself. But sinful and lost man will never admit his need until he first realizes that in and of himself he is bankrupt. He's reduced to nothingness. The Romans tells us they're all gone out of the way. Romans chapter 3, they're together become unprofitable. You must, dear friend, without Christ, come to that point of confession where you cry out before God, I have nothing to offer you. Into the temple one day came two men 
One came with all the vessels filled to the brim, boasting much of his own attainments. We read it in Luke chapter 18 in the words of verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed and said thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And his, his vessels are brimming to the full. The other man would not as much lift up his eyes unto heaven. Why? Because he had a sense of his nothingness. But he simply smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And it was that man who went away with his soul blessed and his cup running over, whereas the other man had nothing. But you'll note that this woman, in speaking of her nothingness, was to mention just a little pot of oil. It was all that she had left. She's a wee bit like the woman who had the, was gathering the sticks to make the last meal. Little meal in the barrel. And she went out and she gathered a few sticks in order to light the fire to make that last meal. She may have felt that it was next to nothing. It was hardly even worth mentioning. I have nothing save a pot of oil. But that pot of oil in the hand of God was all that she was going to need. And when we consider this pot of oil, we may think of it as the grace of God which is poured out in the gospel. We, of course, know of the five foolish virgins. There was ten of them all together, but five of them had taken their lamps, but there was no oil in the lamps. And when they went looking for the oil in search of it, the bridegroom came, and it was noised abroad that he came, and they that were ready went in, and the others came, and they said, Lord, Lord, open to us! But you know what the Lord has said on that great day? Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. He was to say, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done this? Have I not prophesied in thy name? Have I not done many wonderful works in thy name? But then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. They had no oil, you see. They had no oil of God's grace. They weren't ready. You see, men can have an appearance of religion about them. But what man needs is the work of God's grace done in the heart and in the life. He needs the oil of God's Spirit. And the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is all of the grace of God. Oh, we sing it, don't we, oftentimes, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. I wonder tonight as you consider this woman, and although she had nothing but a little oil, I wonder is there any sign of grace in your life? Has there been that day in your life's experience where you've known God dealing with your soul? You realized that of yourself you were bankrupt. You had nothing to offer to God but filthy rags. And you, you needed a Savior. You needed the Savior. 
And the grace of God reached down to you where you are, in your mire and in your sin, and enabled you to call upon the Lord in mercy to save your soul. And you may not have much of this world's goods, but men and women, young person tonight, if you have Christ, you have everything you need. You have everything. Dear friend, you who know nothing of God's grace, I wonder, will you confess your barrenness? I wonder, will you confess your nothingness even tonight and come to Christ just as you are? You see, Romans 10 and 9 says this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What a promise. Recognition. I'm bankrupt. I need the Savior. Confession and calling upon the Lord. And you know, there is in this passage her charge. For Lisha, knowing of this pot of oil, was to instruct her what to do with it. She had the very means of her salvation and her deliverance within her grasp. She used to go and she was to borrow the empty vessels from her neighbors. She used to get as many as she could. In fact, the message was, Borrow not a few. It may have seemed pointless to go and ask for vessels when of herself she had nothing to fill them with. But with obedience, by faith, she went. She proceeded to gather up those empty vessels. What's more, when she got those vessels, you'll see, she was to obey the call of God's servant, for she shut the door. She closed her and her sins in the house. She separated herself from the world and all that was without. She was not to be disturbed by the creditors or by anyone else for that matter. And you know, when a soul is to seek God's salvation, they must allow the Lord to empty them of the world, the flesh and the devil. Emptied of those things which will hinder and seek that God would have his own way in their heart and in their life. It'll mean separating from the crowd. It'll mean that, because the crowd's going to hell. It'll mean separating from the old things, and only the Lord can do that in our lives and in our heart. And this woman, having got the empty vessels, and having shut the door, was then to be given the faith to believe that when she took that little pot of oil, and she started to pour out the oil, that it would multiply in its pouring. Can you picture it? And you picture her in that little homestead and she starts and she lifts that little pot of oil. That's all that she has in the house. And she starts to pour. And one by one she sees those vessels been brought and those vessels been moved aside as they are filled. And another one and another one. And before long she calls for another one to be brought until the answer comes back from one of her boys. There's not a vessel more. They're all filled. And when there was none left, it was then that the oil stayed. It stopped. The point is this, that while there were enough empty vessels, there was sufficient oil to fill them. God had wrought a miracle. It just kept flowing. 
And the miracle of God's power had been wrought in the house that day. The result was that the woman greatly rejoiced and had brought comfort to herself and to her sons for the seal of the oil was to cover her debt and of the rest she was able to live off it. It was sufficient, you see. And dear friend, I want you to take that truth because that truth is greater in the gospel. For when we consider the cross, we realize afresh that the death of God's dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is sufficient. It's sufficient enough for all who will come to him by faith. Christ died on the cross but once and forever. Bearing our sins in his own body on the tree, he was to offer one sacrifice for sin forever. It's sufficient. For he cried, finished. The blood of God's dear Son is sufficient to cleanse away every spot, every stain of sin. I don't care what the sin is. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's sufficient. The work of God's salvation through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient for the sinner to be set free, set free from the bondage and from the debt that they owe to God, to have that assurance that is well with my soul. His work is sufficient. And you know the resurrection of Christ from the dead the third day reminds us it is sufficient for us to know that all in Christ shall live and never die. And that he is the first fruits of them that slept. What's that mean? Simply means because he rose again. Then all who die in Christ shall also rise. And shall live forever. His ascension is sufficient. To know that all in Christ shall ascend one day to the Father's house and we shall be brought into the banqueting hall and to the banqueting table knowing that the banner over us is love. Because the Lord ever liveth. Because the Lord sits on the throne. Then you see the oil of his grace keeps flowing on. We have all blessings in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. The oil of his grace never stops flowing. And if you will have done with your sin tonight, if you will come to Christ tonight, you'll have the assurance of what God said to Paul. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Dear loved one, the Lord's grace is able to reach down where you are tonight. He's able to lift you up. Bring you on to himself. The Lord gives needed grace not only in salvation for every need, but he gives you grace to live for him. As that child of God, as that member of his family, he gives the needed grace every day. Fresh new grace for every new day. And I'll tell you something else. He'll give you grace as needed when it comes to die in him. When it comes to the feet coming to those chilly waters of death and crossing over onto that eternal shore, the Lord will give the needed grace. Oh, that his matchless grace would reach down to you. Lift you up if he hasn't done so already. 
and save your soul. God's work for your salvation is sufficient. But I wonder, will you reach out by faith and accept it? I wonder, will you do what this woman did? She believed. She moved by faith. This woman had to have faith before she could prove God's sufficiency. But you believe. Be saved. Be able to say, I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Not tremendous. The Lord thinketh upon me. May God help you to do so. Now I pray even the message will be a comfort and a blessing to the hearts of God's own people. As we just remember what the Lord has done for us by his matchless grace. And you know, men and women, you read that passage. And we can apply it like this. All that we need is the oil in the house. She had nothing but the oil. And we need the oil of God's Spirit, of God's presence in this house. Every time we meet, may God grant it to be so and bless our hearts with his presence. Amen. May the Lord bless his word to your hearts.